0: to the Dr. Supercoach podcast. You're on once again with Cheezo on a week where we've all wigged out because Harrison breaks his ankle and we're down one rookie in our Supercoach starting squad. I'm here with Pistol and JB. Pistol, it's nice to have you back on the pod, mate. Been missing you a little bit.
1: <laughs> it's good to be back, Chizo. that's for sure.
0: And uh, I assure you uh, that you've been uh, catching up with all the podcasts and uh, I get those little text messages every now and then when we uh, give you a little bit of a rev up for the uh, the Chizo chase down.
1: Yeah, you pretty much uh, just make fun of me for the entire podcast, um, and I'm not there to defend myself. So it's good to be back on. So uh, hopefully you won't be able to make fun of me too much today. But I guess we'll see. There's a there's a lot to say. So who knows?
0: Look, we ran a survey, and Fozzy Wolf wrote in and said, "Look, we want to hear some more banter against Pistol, and with you not around to defend yourself, like what do, what do we, what do we do? We just that that's exactly what we're looking for."
1: Well, don't worry, I'm back, and uh, I'll be defending <laughs> myself strongly. <laughs> And uh, yeah, looking forward to the next season. All right, and I'm also here with
0: JB. How are you,
1: champion?
2: Yeah, I'm just. I'd like to clarify. We had a high volume of people underwhelmed with the amount that we teased Pistol last last podcast. So we will have to ramp it up.
0: Yeah, I think so, mate. Um, and I actually think I might hand over to you tonight uh, for you to run it. Uh, you always are able to control me and Pistol when we're in a conversation. So <laughs> I think we might leave you in charge.
2: Yeah, and appreciate the great intro as always, Chizo. <laughs> We're gonna jump straight into the 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 team. The gold picker is out. Um, it's very interesting early days. I've seen a lot of different players come across. Um, all our admins are doing their teams very early days. It's all very very drafty. It's not like no one's setting anything in stone. But um, there's there's a lot of interesting players coming across because there's so many strange selections, so many cheap selections that people are putting their faith in early days. Um, but I want to jump straight into the defenders, and I'll start with you, Pistol. Um, if we're starting with three premium defenders, I think the the hardest thing to uh, distinguish between the top 10 defenders of last year is who exactly will keep their top 10 status this year. Um, so a lot of variables have changed for a lot of the, the good scoring players, um, and I just would like to know your early days thoughts on the, uh, the best three to begin with.
1: Well, three being an... Um... You know, you don't have to pick three with primo defenders. You can pick two, one, whatever. You can pick five if you want. But um, best three, I think, are going to be Rory Laird this year as uh, Jake Lever is no longer there. I know there's an inclusion of Gibbs, but they probably win a couple more games, so it's not really going to have an effect on that 3,300... Um, I think um, Led's probably going to maintain his 100 average. They also have a lot of games at the start of the year at Adelaide Oval, um, and he performs pretty well there. I think it's 7 of the first 11 at Adelaide Oval. So, um, hot start again for Laird, so looking forward to uh, locking him in straight in my back line. I think the next safest pick is probably going to be unexpected for a lot of people. Um, Cade Simpson. He went 94 average last year. He's had nine years in a row above 90 average, and he's missed three games in nine years, which is ridiculous. And, you know, Doherty's out with ACLs, out for the year. They've lost Gibbs, and, you know, people have to stand up. And Simo generally has been that person for his entire career, and I I don't see what could be different this year. So he's probably a really safe pick to do well and play all the games this year. So he's second into my side. The last spot I think uh, could go to a couple of people, but I know you're a big fan of this bloke, so maybe you want to take us through the, the Michael Hibbard pick.
2: Yeah, well, Michael Hibbard, um, I think he's a he's a very safe option uh, due to the fact that they've got Lever coming in. It's funny when people justify Lead and say Lever's going out so he'll he'll have more space to operate in that back line. There's one good kicker uh, to come out, one player not taking his marks. But for Hibbard, considering he'll always be the best um the best delivery from their back line to midfield or forward line, um, I think he still maintains his average disposals whilst um maybe getting a few easier cheapies from Lever coming in. So I think at the very worst, he maintains his average um and maybe even increases on it a little bit. So um a few games, a few poor games kept him below that hundred average, but he's his comeback, he was very, very good, it's it's safe to say. So what about you, Chizo? If you looked too far into the back line um, and just at some of the players that you've just looked at straight away and gone, he'll maintain, he'll keep his top 10 positioning, I'm going to chuck him straight at my team and forget about him for the whole year.
1: Look,
0: the way that I describe it to most people is I voted yes on the same-sex marriage ballot, but when it comes to Super Coach, I'm ageist. <laughs> like, I have a, I, I, I see younger... Players, and I think, you know, they've got more um, more years that they can keep this up. Where I see Kate Simpson, we see it with all older players. At some point, they are just going to fall off a cliff. You never know when that cliff is going to be. So while he's had nine years at that certain point compared to a lot of other people, this could be the year that he does drop off. The reason that I think it helps him is the fact that Sam Doherty's not there and he's going to have to be a lot more important with that ball coming out of the back 50. And Carlton are going to have a lot more ball in the back 50, even compared to last year, because we don't have Gibbs. Um, in saying that, though, I think the common theme for me with the defenders that I'm looking for this year is we want that quarterback role. We want the, the Hibbards that's going to be freed up with Le- uh, Lever coming in uh, already was like a, a third-tall running defender anyway. Laird, the quarterback coming out. Um, Elliot Yo, very similar role around the 100 mark. I don't see that changing um, if we have the same similar role. Um, from GWS, now that uh, Nathan Wilson has left, uh, I see Zach Williams. Um, he's already in the, the top 10 from last year, but I think that he could add a few more points up into that um, and even push higher than the likes of Hawley or Howe and, and, and coming right into the top six. So he's, he's one I'm looking really closely at, JB.
2: Yeah, and I'm glad you brought him up because he's um well he's firmly locked into my team for the moment, um barring a catastrophe in the JLT where I, I sort of have to push him out. But that's that's mostly because of what you just mentioned. With Wilson going out of that squad and Shaw seemingly digressing uh, year by year, I feel like there's just a lot more points freed up in that back line. And we'll talk about Griffin later when we touch on the midfield. Yeah, surprisingly, we're going to talk about Ryan Griffin on a Supercoach podcast again. Um and how he'll be coming off that half back line, but I feel like Zach Williams um, and with his natural progression, just how young he is and how well he's improving, um, he's a consistent scorer and I think yeah, he's going to be one that's that's locked into a lot of teams early on, but not enough to make him a real household selection. maybe he'll be a bit of a POD coming in. Um, and I know pistols looked heavily into GWS's start, so how do they actually start the season pistol?
1: They have a fabulous draw. Uh, they've Six of their first seven opponents actually missed finals, so you, they're going to come out on fire. They're probably going to smash has the first six of the seven opponents, probably win all seven anyway. And, you know, they, they score well at the end of the day. All, most of their players last year scored well. They finished on top of the ladder for a reason. And, um, you know, Wilson's gone, as you said. Zach Williams going to get the ball on the back line. Use it, he uses it well. And I don't really see him dropping, so I think he's a very safe pick as well.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, speaking of some non-safe picks, um, well, the fact of the matter is they're this cheap for a reason. Um, we'll start off with Grant Birch, who I first actually saw Birch in a, a draft team of yours, uh, cheese I didn't even notice him at such a low price. Um, he, there's not a lot you could really lose by taking a punt on someone priced this low. Um, but are you on the Birch train still? Or have you jumped off that bandwagon?
0: Look, everyone's first draft team. You have a few place setters, and I think there's been so many years where we're happy just having. Uh, we were happy having Grand Birchall in our in our backlines. You know, he's had um, averages in the nineties, high eighties, and things like that. Last year was the first year um, in a decade that is you know average um, lower than eighty. So um, when you see him come in at two hundred and seventy seven k. Um, you just you're jumping for joy. You think like this is a a, a a really good deal for us. The only thing again is now that he was scoring those those scores when Hawthorne were a fantastic team, they were at the top of the ladder, they were winning games. Now that their team structure has changed, you know it, it, they even lost uh, Hodge in the last trade period is he going to bounce back from his PCL injury last year and return to averaging the mid-80s? Because, you know, the top 10 defenders have all averaged 90 or more and you've got to consider consider Birchall a stepping stone. You can't consider him as a keeper, so... Is he going to be able to average high enough to make enough money to make it worthwhile? That's the thing that I'm, you know, tossing up at this stage. Uh, currently, he's not in my draft, but you could easily make it in or out depending on um, exactly how much money I've got left for, you know, a D four position. I wouldn't be picking him any higher than that.
2: Yeah, and he's priced a hundred k over players like Cofield, who um, I'm not exactly sure on the pronunciation. I'm pretty sure that's right. Um, where he's priced 100k over those sorts of players where if they can go even similar to his output, they'll just make so much more cash. Um, I know Pete, uh, Pistol's a little bit more enthusiastic about Birchall. Um, I mean, he suffered two injuries last season that may have affected his scores. Um, Is he locked into your side, Pistol? Well,
1: I wouldn't say a lock, but the fact is, you know, he broke his jaw and he played out the game and he also got a six um, from the injury. So he, he's priced... Very, very kindly. Um, as you said, there's there's no Gibbo. There's no Hodge. Someone has to, you know, lead the back line. And I think it could be Birch was probably the most experienced player down there. And I think the ball will be in, you know, Hawthorne's back line quite a bit next year. So, as you said, if he gets to the 80s, it's not the end of the world. It will be a bit of a problem if there is a lot of back line rookies to choose from. Um, I would definitely choose a rookie, a playing rookie over him. Um, But if we're struggling in the rookie department come round one, then he will definitely be in my side just to, I guess, uh, alleviate some of that pressure of having to start maybe a dodgy rookie that I didn't want to start in the first place. So uh, very dependent on which rookies pop up. But at the moment, I'm happy having a placeholder right in my side.
2: Yeah, it's good to have the funds going into him rather than playing around with the extra 100K and making a team that's unrealistic for uh, round one. Um, just lastly for the back line, I'd like to touch on a few enticing mid-prices. Um, well, Lloyd's more of a, a fallen premium with his one uh, affected injury-affected score last year. That was the concussion. Um, and then Wilson's obviously moved teams. He had an up-and-down year with uh, GWS, but we know the competitiveness that is their scoring um, just in their squad altogether. Have you had a chance to look at these two, Pistol, and maybe just assess their their potential value for the season? Are they good mid-prices to sort of jump on and take the risk?
1: Well, Lloyd is interesting. Um, he was a bit of a flat-track bully last year. He gets a lot of, I guess you'd say, cheap touches. Um, he gets a lot of the ball. And the opening draw for Swans is really tough. I think five of the first six opponents, uh, it's, it's going to be difficult. I'll just read it out here because I've got it in front of me. Um, they play Eagles, Um at the the Perth Stadium. Then they play Port Adelaide, GWS, Bulldogs, Crows and Geelong all in a row to start the year. Um, for a flat-track bully, I'm not entirely sure he's going to have a hot, crash-hot start. So I probably would be avoiding Lloyd and then maybe trying to grab him after that run. Maybe he'll he'll drop a little bit in price. Um, he's a pretty consistent player, though. So, you know, even though when they say he's a flat-track bully, I mean, he, he pretty much... I think he had a high of, like hundred and ten and a low of eighty or something so he doesn't really get he probably won't drop too much in price. Wilson is quite interesting on the other hand because um that, that role I guess Lockie Weller um has moved clubs to Gold Coast and now you've got um Wilson coming right in he'll be playing off the back line as well and you know he'll he'll be rotating a little bit through the midfield you think and He's probably going to be a good pick. I'm not sure his scoring potential from a free mount or back line, uh, given they probably aren't going to win too many games. But I can definitely see the upside and why people would want to start him. Maybe a little bit too risky for me, but I, I can certainly see why people would do it.
2: Yeah, and the risk is uh, quite obviously there when you start with someone who isn't a proven premium scorer and comes in at a price that is uh, very close to what you'd expect them to start as... Um, so Cheese, with those two players having been mentioned, both Lloyd and Wilson, um, do you think either of them will end up finding their way into your side or are you content with just going the premiums and rookies?
0: I think we can't forget exactly what Lloyd was last year from the start of the season, his consistency um and his flaw in his scoring is the important thing. I think you touched on it as well, Pistol. It is something that was really, really good for him last year. And, you know, I I just remember for trying for most of the season trying to get him into my team as like a d5 d6 he, he was looking as a really good option as you say he did have um, uh, uh, the concussion which has hurt his hurt his overall score it's also hurt his price which is good on our spec our aspect so the way I look at it is you're no worse off than what he was last year he's not going to significantly have a different role the only thing that's changed is he's lost DPP. it's just a defensive only but he's not the kind of person that um, you know, like a Isaac Heaney, for example, that you you might have as a place setter in your uh, midfield depending on what trades and things happening. So um, for me, I would pick Lloyd over Wilson. Wilson statistically doesn't really jump off the page at me. You know, um, this will be like his seventh season with a highest average of 76. And over the last three years, he's progressed from an average of 51 to 67 to 76. Do I see him hitting the 90 mark, which is probably what I need, in a Frio team when I cannot trust Ross in the beginning. So uh, for me, for a hundred and 410 K is a speculative pick. You're picking him as a keeper. You're not picking him as a stepping stone because there's not enough money to make. And if he, you know, if he has made enough money to be a stepping stone, he's already averaging 95 plus anyway. So you're going to be keeping him. So it's, it's too risky for me at this stage. uh, But if I was picking out of the two, I'd be picking Lloyd. uh, If I had, the theory that he was going to become a keeper and, and go back up to that 100 mark that he was bouncing around last year.
2: Yeah, Wilson is very hard to justify at that price. Um, he's the sort of player that if he tears open the JLT, we'll have to really reconsider because we know um, how high his ceiling was last year, putting up some very, very good scores. Um, but at this point, he just looks to be uh, too much of an inconsistent player in that GWS squad. So we're not sure if that'll correlate over to his free mental days or not. Um, We'll move on to the midfield, and I really want to just touch on, just briefly, because I think we're all, um, people people all very confident with who the best of the best are. Um, I think I want to just shortly touch on the Dangerfield debate, um, just how important he will be uh, in everyone's teams or out of everyone's teams. So there's a 100k difference between him and Dusty. Um, If we're assuming you can only start with one of them, considering both of their really high prices, if you're going to try and map out your team, Evenly, um, it's it's hard to sort of get such well, two such highly priced players into that side. Um, if you were starting with one of them, Pistol, can you justify the hundred K difference between Danger
1: and Dusty? Well, this is a tough question, JB. I think Danger filled he averaged one hundred and thirty six. You got the next highest averaging one hundred and twenty, being Dusty, and you have a captain every week, JB. So if you have the 16 point different, you're doubling it for your captain. You know, you're already 32 points um, worse off. So you can always justify that Dangerfield is going to be a good pick because at the end of the day, I'd say it's nearly 100% likely that he finishes as the high scoring player uh, for 2018. But at the same time, you've got Gaz coming in. I'm sure he, he won't increases average too much uh, I doubt he increases at all to be honest maybe drops a little bit um, and then even then Dusty I'm not even sure we've seen the best of Dusty I know he just won the Brownlow medal but he was a bit inconsistent um, at times if he could just pump out um, more more 140s uh, next year I think you know he could even match um, Dangerfield for 100k less At the moment, I'm really tossing up between the two. I don't know what the right answer is. I guess um, we'll see how Gaz goes in the the JLT and the Geelong side. But at the moment, I am on Dusty, but it is a very big call, and it it doesn't sit well with me choosing um, the second most expensive player just because of that captaincy and the the 32-point swing that I mentioned before. Yeah,
2: and just to touch on the captaincy point, um, I think if you're starting Tom Mitchell on your side, it's it's hard to argue that you're not going to have a decent captaincy option there. So um, if you're starting Dusty and Tom Mitchell rather than Danger and Tom Mitchell, um, because you've got Danger in your side, you're naturally just going to captain him every week. You could be missing some very big scores. I mean, Tom Mitchell versus uh, Collingwood in round one, I'm pretty sure. And we all know he, I think he, did he double-ton? I know he got extremely close, (laughs) whether he actually double-toned or not, Pistol. I'm sorry to bring that up. Um, but like you're going to be missing some great matchups. And then Dusty, obviously, he tore Carlton apart in round one last year. Um, So I'm not sure if I want a player that's going to demand such attention when... I mean, he puts up 130s for the heck of it. Um, but will Day, Ablett coming in change a 180 to... I mean, a well, 180, a 150 to a 140 every second week and you got other players scoring massive... It's so hard to argue against Danger because he's such a scoring beast. But um, I'm just not sure that extra $100,000 is not better placed elsewhere in your side. Um, So it's a hot, hot debate at the moment. Chizo, where do you sit with it? Do you have uh, the reigning point winner um, in your side at the moment with Dangerfield? (laughs)
0: Look, I'll just state a few things that are not my opinions, they're just facts. You've got Dangerfield is clearly the best supercoach scorer, there is daylight between first and second in Dusty. And even then, you've got Dusty and Titch on any given day can score better than the other. Danger missed one game. Dusty didn't miss any. How many points do you think difference was between Danger and Dusty because he missed that game? Have a guess. No,
2: probably 120.
0: At the end of the season, Dangerfield, after missing a game... Still scored 240 points more in total than Dusty did. Yes, we're talking about the extra 100k, but he's priced 750k for a reason because he scores bananas. And if you, we all know what it feels like when you don't have Dust, uh, you don't have danger, and you're versing someone that's got him as captaincy, and you know, you've you've gone with Tom Mitchell on the Friday and he only put on like 120 and you just got to take it and the whole weekend knowing that Danger's coming on Sunday you're just stressing bullets because you know he's going to put up 150, 160, 170 and he does it easy. Last year we saw Danger have fun with the competition because he was so good. You know what I mean? Like oh, there were games where Danger got to pretend he was hurt so he could play in a different position just because he got bored. <laughs> like the 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 dudes the dudes are freak. And if you don't start in this year this year, you're going to be regretting it. The only issue is that price tag. If everyone sees that price tag and says that like that's seven seven point five percent of my entire salary cap, and I've still got twenty twenty nine other people to to choose. That's the thing. The problem is if you don't take dust uh, you don't take danger all right they both start with d um if you don't take danger. Come round one, I guarantee you're going to be regretting it because if he's, you know, Dusty's just come off the best personal year in AFL history winning every award that's possible and Danger is still living the dream trying to get that premiership. You think he's going to have a, a worse year than last year? I personally don't think so. I don't I don't see Dusty coming up with another 15 points out of nowhere. I will be starting Danger because I think he's still going to be hungry and I can't see him going any worse than 135.
2: <laughs> Such a compelling argument and now I'm I'm really rushing to get Dusty out and Danger into my side. Um, it's so hard to be convinced not to start Dangerfield because we know how good he is. Um, I suppose it's where you where you dedicate that extra funds to. I mean, at the moment, we've all got Birchall sitting in our squad. If he turns into a, a rookie by the time it comes to round one because he stinks up JLT or, or, or seven rookies kill it in the back line um it's very easy to obviously get a a premium midfielder up to that dangerfield but if virtuals are guaranteed like you need to start virtual and all these players are just you like you must start them it's it's going to be tough to fit dangerfield in and you're going to have to make sacrifices it's all as to whether it's worth it but having heard that speech chizo Starting to believe it's worth it more than anything.
0: <laughs> Look, it's just one man's opinion. Yeah,
2: <laughs> I don't think it's just one man's. <laughs> um, so we've covered the two main guns. Um, I did touch on Titch. I think personally, you've got to lock him in just due to his sheer consistency, and there's no reason for him to digress at all this year. Um, who else are we sort of looking at? I see Fife and Crips in a lot of teams. Same with uh, Kelly. I think we all expect them to uh, be a better version of themselves this coming year for whatever reason. Um, are there any sort of left field options? I know Pistol, you're looking to your um, your supportive club for your left field option. I haven't seen Pendles in many sides. Um, so, what are your thoughts on him?
1: Well, I should just say after Chizo's uh, speech, I'm probably going to have to <laughs> remove Pendlebury and put in Dangerfield. <laughs> um, that was very convincing. Um, very. I did, yeah. I should say I did get. Um, the captaincy thing wrong. It, it, you don't double the the captaincy off. I hate when people do that, and I did it myself. Um, only the 16 points difference. It was bugging me the whole time. Um, but Dangerfield, I think, is going to have to come into my side. That was a very, very compelling argument. Jeez, so well done. Um, back onto the Pendlebury uh, front. Look, this man had an injury-affected season. He doesn't usually have injury-affected seasons. It's it's an anomaly. I mean, in the last nine seasons or so, um, his lowest score was 110 back in 2010. And besides that, his lowest has been 116, and he's had, uh, what is it, four years above 124. Um, So he went from 118 the year before and went to 106 last year. And Collingwood wasn't very good last year, obviously, but we have a very easy draw now, I think it's ranked the the second easiest in the whole AFL. Hopefully, we can win a couple more games, but if not, I still expect Pendlebury to to bounce back. And worst case scenario, I, he can't he can't drop further than 106. Surely, um, his role isn't going to change. Nothing besides a game plan is going to change. And I think it's going to be uh, possession heavy. And when it's possession heavy, you generally try and get it to your your good users of the footy um, to to penetrate inside the 50. And I think his going to go back to above the 110 ways uh, i'm quite confident in it. and at 586 that's pretty much the cheapest that you, you have been able to start with pendlebury um in a decade
2: yeah no doubt and um, just touching on those three i mentioned earlier kelly Cripps and fife are you as confident as uh, what most people seem to be on those players being very very good valued midfielders for the next season
1: Back to Pendlebury. No, <laughs> I, I could talk about Pendlebury all day. To be honest with you, but no, Fife averaged uh, like 120 or so after the buy. Um, he was carrying a bit of an injury at the beginning of the year, so I think he kind of picks himself. Um, just, just great value there. Cripps without Gibbs, I think everyone's expecting him to come home hard. He is also undervalued um, because of that injury late in the season, and we've seen what he can do he, when he when he sees the ball, he becomes a madman, pretty much just goes and gets it. You can't really stop an inside um, midfielder like him, so he's not really taggable, and I can definitely see him going 110-plus, and he's just way cheaper than the other primo midfielders, so you can save an extra 50 to 100K, depending on who you're, you're getting um, out for, crips. so I think he's certainly a good pick to start the season. And Kelly is probably, in my eyes, the riskiest pick of the bunch. He increased his average in one year by 27. A lot of the time when that happens... They don't increase again (laughs) by a large amount. Um, But with that early uh, GWS nice draw that we talked about before, I think he'll probably get a hot start. The confidence in the boys will be up and running and that they'll win as many games as last year. And I think he's, he's probably going to at least average the same as last year. But I can definitely see why people would be too scared to start him.
2: Yeah, and he's one of those perfect storms of inside and outside midfielder where they can go and get it themselves, but they're so silky on the outside. I reckon he's picked himself in in my team purely because of the love I get just for watching him play. Like he's, he's a once in a generation type player where he's just, he's so I'm gonna use this um aesthetically pleasing to watch play football. So <laughs> um just just that itself picks like I don't like watching Tom Mitchell rack up fifty handballs and you know just sit on the bottom of the pack. Kelly is actually enjoyable to watch and just for that alone he picks himself in my side. Um, So Chizzo, I'll get you started on a player that um, is of your supportive club And that's Zach Merritt Um, I don't see him picked in many sides But I'm sure you're as confident as I am that he's going to have another big year Is he going slightly under the radar to start off?
0: I think he's not getting as much love as what you'd expect We saw this a couple of years ago when um, he was a, a forward line eligible player And he had a very low ownership And we all kind of said to ourselves, you know Zerek could have a really big year here, but we just didn't have the, uh, you know, the cojones to pick him in our sides because it was such a big chunk of money in our forward line. I think he's proven enough that he knows how to rack the ball up his disposal efficiency tends to, to let him down a little bit. That's um, something similar that we see with a lot of guys, like a, a Titch, for example. Titch makes up with it because he gets 50 disposals a game. Zeritz very uh, very commonly gets in a you know 30-plus. So same with um, someone like Matt Crouch, who I'm not seeing much love for either. Your boy Pistol, even though he went 127 over the last eight weeks or something ridiculous like that. So I, I, I've posed this at the end of the year. Was 2017 the last year we pick... You know, the Gary Ablett's and you know, the Pendlebury's and things like that. Is the new brigade something that we can invest our money in? You know what I mean? Like last year, we saw Oliver and Kelly absolutely um, go ridiculous. Are we going to see someone again like that? Do we see extra steps from, um, you know, a Merritt or, um, a, again, you know, a Matty Crouch, someone like that? We we saw Trelaw drop off tremendously. Does he have a bounce back? There are a lot of these guys that people aren't touching because they didn't hit the heights we thought they would last year. Zerrett went 109.2 and we still kind of think that he didn't reach the level that we know he probably can, so... Um, Zarek for me is an interesting one. I've got him in my side. I think that's definitely team bias because I love the kid, but I can definitely see him being uh, having a a, a one fifteen year in the coming years. Like I'm hoping it's this year, for example. But I can see him being a player that can do that.
2: Yeah, the potential just. Uh, I mean, it's obviously there, and you'd you'd have to be someone that. Uh, does not recognise talent whatsoever to not see it. I mean, just the international series alone, he was just so comfortable and one of the better disposals of the round ball. And I mean, I know it doesn't mean much; he doesn't rack up super coach points for playing that. But he just—he's just everywhere that the ball is. He's a typical ball magnet, and he's only going to get better. Like he's so young. He's actually currently in my midfield as well. But after you convince me to get Dangerfield, he might be going out.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's what I'm saying. Like I think I think this could be the year we saw. Like even with JPK, like are these older guys, like, can we rely on them anymore? Is this, are we going to get burnt again from these older guys? Like, I think that's a really, really interesting um, thought to have going into our 2018 year.
2: Yeah, and throw Rockcliffe into that mix as well. Like, these players, enable it, I guess, like, these players that we've chucked in our squads last year because they're so reliable. Um, I mean, Dependabry is his nickname. Um, and they just tended to burn us a little bit, but... We don't want to overreact and we don't want to overcorrect and just go completely young. So some of these old guys might still have a good couple of years in them. Um, we're going to jump into a little bit more potential mid-price mayhem. We saw it last year with Swallow, Omira, um, Nankivis, just about a billion mid-prices that we got to choose from. I'm not seeing many pop up early days. I mean, JLT is usually the main contributor to these um, bandwagons beginning. But there's quite a few players in the midfield that are actually really low priced for what their potential output could be. And I'm talking about the likes of Griffin, Armitage, O'Meara, believe it or not. And um, even the underpriced players such as Caniglio who only got to get uh, a few games, less than 10 last year, um, but pumped out a 90 average. So um, just to quickly touch on a, a pistol, we'll start with you. Um, Of those four players, which one grabs your attention the most Um, if salary is not really an issue?
1: Oh, well, I mean, if salary is not an issue, then always well, the most expensive one. <laughs> what <laughs> sort of questions is that?
2: Well, I mean, who's got the most potential of the four? They've all got different roles. They're all in different teams. And they're all low-priced for different reasons. Come on, mate.
1: <laughs> Look, I really like watching Kanigo play, and I think he's a good player, but I, I don't really see him as someone that's going to go 115 even 110 might be his his max limit, which doesn't quite put him at that top 10 midfielders mark. Um, I think he's good value, and he would be a fine M8. But usually, throughout the season, you pick up someone that's either got concussed or has fallen, you know, below like you know, low, near low low 400s, and then you're content on having them as an M8. Um, you you don't generally start with those players and, and sac take the hit and sacrifice from the beginning. So for me I think what whichever one's the cheapest, which um in this case is Ryan Griffin, he's got a career where he pretty much hasn't fallen below ninety in a very long time. Um obviously he's priced it at fifty six because he was injured. Um he only played three games last year. He will be playing you would assume off the halfback flank um given uh the departure of, of Wilson and I think he'll slot right in, and he he uses the ball relatively well, and I, I think he could go around 90. Now I don't know if he'll make enough money to be worthwhile. He's priced at 277. If he gets to 90, you probably call that a win, um, but it's very very possible. And I think Cheeso would say likely that it's closer to the 80 80 mark than 90 mark. And in that case, that there's no point. You may as well just just pick a rookie.
2: Yeah, and um speaking of Cheeso, um Griffin, Armitage, Omira and Caniglio, which one really jumps out of you jumps out at you as a potential moneymaker or even potential keeper if you're um, over projecting that much?
0: I think there's very, very obvious divide between the likes of Canelio and the other three. We've got Cornelio that came back and was very positive. I think he's also slightly elevated in price in comparison as well. Again, we've got my ageism where we've got uh, Ryan Griffin, older person coming back from an injury, not really something that I'm looking forward to. I'd rather invest my money in um, someone that could potentially go 90 through their, you know, their natural progression rather than hoping someone stays injury free. I think I'm just I'm sick of picking these guys that are injury prone. Like I don't have a Harley Benell. I don't have a Jaeger O'Meary on my side. I, just, I I can't do it. Like it's it I look at the numbers and I'm thinking to myself, you know, you've got to pick some he's gone hundred before, like, and you can get him for forty percent. Like, that's a really obvious decision. But how many times, you know, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. Like, how many times can we go to this well and pick these players? Is what I'm thinking. So for that reason uh, Cornelio had a um, an injury that was not so much a repetitive thing that we're looking for with like a Jaeger that has his patella tendon leading to other issues. I think once Cornelio got over his injury, that's done. Like It's not a recurring thing. Um, if I was looking at a mid-price player slightly elevated, someone that I'm not so much confident but I think can get back to in uh, scoring ways, and he's still quite young... Is Jack Redden, and I particularly want to ask Pistol this because I think he might be uh, on the same wavelength as me, as like uh, a left field option that people may not, uh, well, may have forgotten about, but has gone a hundred plus in the past. But he just didn't get the access to the West Coast Eagles midfield with the likes of Pretis and Mitchell now gone. Who's going to step up?
1: Yeah, no, I'm not on the same wavelength as you, Giso, at all. Um Yeah, Redden eighty last year. His his if he was cheaper than yes, but. At 437k, um, what what do I want? I mean, for him to get to to make 150k, which is how much generally you'd want from your rookie, he'd have to average nearly 110 just, just to get up there. And I can't see that happening with Redden. I mean, best case scenario, he goes lower hundreds, to be honest. And, and that's fine, but it's still... You, you may as well pick a Caniglio who's like 20k more expensive, and I, I'm quite sure he will go like I'd say quite definitely sure he'll go lower hundreds. Um and Redden was probably you'd be reaching to get to that point. So for me I, I think there's no point. I mean I, I'd rather take an Armitage and hope he goes lower hundreds at three hundred and eleven K um but I don't see that either. Um I think he's more likely to, to to get around the ninety mark. But yeah, Redden's definitely not on my radar.
2: Yeah, I think it's safe to say um JLT will have to be Very, very bloody impressive for one of these guys to make us want to even consider them. It's looking like another premium and rookie selection uh, for most Supercoach users this year. Um, And that's something, I mean, we'll have ample podcast time to talk about the players that are coming out in the JLT um, in the preseason itself. So I'm going to skip over to the forward line. We'll touch on the rucks last. And I think I speak on behalf of everyone that's opened their Supercoach gold when I say, what the hell is this forward line selection? Um, we've got one player that was able to crank up the the 100 plus average and that's Sam Menegola with 100.4 as his average. Everyone else is below 100 um, with only 10 players, including Menegola, averaging more than 90. Um, so it's looking very, very difficult to really peg down um, some forward line keepers from the get-go. Um, three of those players in that top ten, that average ninety plus, are port players with a really awkward buy. Um, another well, three of them are tall forwards, which I, I know a lot of people tend to avoid. So, um, it's very difficult to to really nail down some players where you, you look at it and you go, yep, they're a hundred percent in my team as a premium forward. They're not going to move. Um, so I ask probably the most difficult question I've asked so far, Pistol. Who are your forward line early lock-ins that you look at and go, they've definitely got top 10 written all over them?
1: <laughs> look, I don't think any of them are locks. As you said, it's incredibly difficult to pick these forwards. Um, for me, I think I'd be leaning towards Toby Green. I know he's got those anger management issues, but you'd think he'd uh, have, a, have a big talking to over the off-season and, and try and get that under control uh, to the best of his ability. And with that GWS hot start... Um, they're going to beat up on the teams, to be honest. And, and Toby Green's going to be heavily involved in that. And I think he'll just get off to an absolute flyer. And he he's he's capable of averaging more than a hundred. So I think this is um going to be a great year for Toby Green. And he's at the moment my number one. Um, I'd say locked forward, but I, I use that word um casually. <laughs> <laughs> and. If, if I had to pick a couple more, I'll just briefly touch on them because it's not worthwhile <laughs> really going in-depth at the moment. You've got Heaney who scored pretty well the entire year but has a, a poor swan start. I don't think it will affect him too much, so he's probably the next safe pick in my eyes. Um, JJK um, plays at their new um, Perth Stadium. I think it's seven of the first 11 games, um, so he might get off to a, to a hot start, and he's always up in the top forwards anyway. Um, obviously, he got a bit injured last year. Um, which may have hampered his scoring down to it down to a ninety three, um, usually around the hundred mark, and people are pretty keen on Jack Billings, um, ninety two average. I know he started very poorly, and then a lot of people brought him in, and he, he came home really really strong, um, you know, averaging over a hundred after I think round seven or so. So he seems like a good pick. You've got Armitage coming back, and you really need. Um, him to convert those chances I know a lot of the time um you know you'd see him kick one goal three two goals four um not not very accurate in front of goal and Saints at the end of the day they're going to have to win more games for them to all score more points and get you know a bigger slice of the the Supercoach pie I mean it is a scaled game and um generally the winners they score more points in in Supercoach so um if they they win more games all the Saints players are going to get more points and hopefully there's enough natural improvement in the Saints side to get them those wins. Um, I think, I think, I'm I'm not really sure JB, I think he's somewhat safe Um, but I I don't really know how I feel about it. How do you feel about um, choosing the most expensive forward option Uh, knowing it's probably going to be okay but, but I guess over committing the money um, at the start of the season, Junior Kane not know what I meant. Was that clear?
2: Um, not really, but I think I know what you mean. Um, a f- a forwards <laughs> for me are, re- are really difficult. Um, at the moment, my structure is two premium with quotation marks around them forwards in Isaac Heaney and Billings, um, and then four are uh, the rookie price players or mid prices, we'll talk about a bit later. I think it's made so much more difficult because players like Chad Wingard and Robbie Gray um are almost unselectable due to the fact that they had that really awkward buy, um and then you look at players like Dowhouse who would usually lock into our sides before Supercoach even opened would somehow get in and um get Dowhouse into that into that forward line, but he had such an inconsistent and just strange year last year and it's hard to see Bulldogs getting too much. Um, more competitive, so I can't really see him improving on his average. Um, I think that's why it's so difficult, because these proven players that we can actually half rely on just aren't the same anymore. Um, And then Isaac Heaney's had one good season, Green's had one good season, or two good seasons now, but doesn't get more than 16 games. Um, And then you've got 12 forwards. So it's so difficult to choose, but um, I think Isaac Heaney's probably the safest, in my opinion, um and then it's just a free for all and who you think is going to do the best, um, Chiso, I'm going to go to you for someone like um Walters who we all know stormed home last year. I'm not actually sure if you're too keen on him or not. So we're going to get an honest opinion here. Um, but what do you think of his potential in getting into that top ten this year?
0: I think with what we've heard from the off season particularly is that he's going to be used primarily as a midfielder. fielder. But I think with Fremantle, they don't have many legitimate scoring options. And Walters is such a fantastic um, medium to small forward uh, and goal kicker, for example, that if they spend too much time with him around the ball, how are they going to convert that transition into a score? That's the only thing I'm worried about. Um, So I still think that he's going to be playing a pretty similar split. I think with... um, you know Brayshaw and Adam Serra coming in, they will play. They will play a lot of game time this year as Frio rebuild, and they'll obviously have obviously have to spend some more time forward to try and you know, um, not so much Brayshaw, but they have to build their tank up to an AFL standard. So that's the only only reason I can see them giving Walters more midfield time. I honestly, with the the forward line is just disgusting. We're all going to have to take a risk. We're all going to have to take a punt. There are no safe, safe options, um, and particularly like you think you know JJK would be a safe option. You know, you just bank you know your ninety average. But then again, we've just talked about that uh, the Eagles don't have their midfield anymore. That's going to deliver them the ball. We talked that um, Metagola was the only hundred plus average selectable as a mid, a, a forward this year. With Tim Kelly coming in from the the waffle, who's going to get a lot of game time, you've got Gaz coming in that's going to take some midfield time. Is it going to limit the amount of time he is going to get in the midfield racking up the pill? I certainly don't see him averaging 100 again this year. I think he's going to be a, a very consistent forward, may go 90 plus, but I don't think it's worth spending 552k to go and get him at the start. Um, and then... The, the likes of um, Toby Green, he's gonna punch someone halfway through the season and miss a game. Heaney <laughs> Heaney's obviously gonna break out. You talk about the Saints, they've just lost all their stars and, you know, they're having like a little mini rebuild. I think they're gonna meander again this year. I don't think there's finals in line for the Saints. So similar wins. If Billings could kick straight he'd average hundred and twenty. But you know, is he going to make that much of improvement over the off season? We're going to have to take a risk and, you know, it may be even Dalhouse, for example um, that comes out and it proves us all wrong compared to last year, but it, it, I honestly don't know where we're going to go at this stage. That's honestly, I don't know what I'm going to do.
2: Yeah, and again, um, this is why we look to some speculative picks to be um, to be completely fair, and that's why I now go to you, Pistol, because you've been a big um, a big promoter of these next two players, and that's Harley Bunnell and Alan Christensen. So do you want to have a chat about these guys? <laughs> they're very, very lowly priced. So I'll I'll come to your aid early by saying that they're very, very cheap. Um, but what's the motives? Is it just the, the really poor forward line? Like if these guys were in defense, would you be having similar thoughts about them? Or is it simply the fact that we know these guys have premium scores in them and they're just priced too low to ignore?
1: Yeah, so... Chizo kind of answered my question where what I was trying to say, which uh, wasn't very articulate, was, is it worthwhile spending the big bucks on the Menegola or, or the Buddy, for example, or even Heaney to an extent thinking or knowing that they're at least going to be dropping in price um, early. So he, he said no. He's like, oh, I'm not sure I'm going to spend the big bucks, um, in which case my thought process is, well, if you're not going to spend the big bucks, um, which of the cheapies are you going to get? Because you can't have it both ways. You can't not get the cheapies and not get the uh, the big guns. Um, so turning to the mid-prices, which is really risky. It's, it's not the best strategy. It worked out okay, well, I should say well, with Nankin Steel last year, but you don't usually get that lucky. Um, I think flying a lot under the radar. Um, Alan Christensen is actually very young, for starters. He hasn't been around forever. He's only 26 years old. And he scores really well. I mean, in the last uh, five or so years, he, he's had an average of 80, 92, 90, 86, and last year, 70. And people might be saying, well, he's not playing for Geelong anymore, he's playing for Brisbane. In 2015, he played 22 games for Brisbane, and he averaged 86. Um, he's only priced at 267000 which which is very cheap, and, you know, they they lost Rockliffe. There's going to be some midfield rotation. I'm sure there'll be other players, um, top draft picks and, and you know, Mitch Robinson coming back who's probably gonna get a bit more midfield time, but Christensen's capable enough um to get runs through the midfield. It's gonna be heavily dependent on the JLT. If he's playing as a small forward, you can pretty much rule him out straight away. But if he's getting those runs through the midfield from his eleven games last year, he had three scores below 25. He kept getting injured, so he's so heavily discounted. He his average from that 70 is not really a fair reflection on him as a player, and he's pretty much actually, surprisingly for some people, good for an 85 plus average and you know 267k. You can't go too wrong as well. I mean, he he probably will get you that you know close to 400k mark. So you know 140k increase, which is good enough in my opinion. So um, I'm a big fan of him. I don't know if I've convinced some people or maybe turned some people away. Uh, (laughs) It's definitely a wait and see with the the JLT. And Bunnell, you can't really say much about Bunnell. You know he's he's gone above 100 um, for three years. You know that he can play as the most exciting midfielder you've ever seen in your life. And last year, I think they just wanted to give him some confidence while he was injury-free, just pop him in the team, maybe say, don't go too hard and injure yourself, just try and enjoy it a bit. Um, I think we didn't really see the, the real Bunnell um, at the end of the last year. And this year, hopefully, in the JLT, we see he's, um geared up for a big year, or bad choice of words, but he'll um, have <laughs> a, yeah, stints through the midfield and everything, and um, hopefully can just go bang. I mean... Bunnell is definitely a risky pick, but he's also somebody who could be the highest scoring forward um, come the end of the, the season. It It's just one of those things where I feel like I'd regret not picking him more than picking him and downgrading him if he ends up being terrible.
2: Yeah, he almost defines the term high risk, high reward, Um, except the risk isn't that great. It's just one trade down to a rookie that's playing well that we probably missed out on. Um. Yeah, it's just, it's very interesting that you mentioned the two um lowly price. They're not even really mid mid prices. They're expensive rookies at this stage. Um, yeah, I, I find it interesting because I see myself with two of them players already in my squad. Um, and it scares me, but there's also a bit of familiarity with having or with seeing those two players. Um, and. You familiarise them with actually actual good scores, whereas you can't do that with almost any other player in that forward line because they're also raw, um, also awkwardly priced, or it's just a strange, strange perfect storm of weirdness in that forward line. Um, and there's not many other ways you can explain it. So hopefully there's some big, big rookies that come through for us and um, enable us to make some money while we see those top forward line players emerge. Um, Another one that I'll be keeping my eye out for in the JLT, I'm I'm sure not many people share this sentiment, but if Brandon Archie gets a good run through that West Coast midfield, whilst um, they've obviously had a lot of omissions in the last off season, um, I can see him averaging decently. I think we spoke about him, you and I, Pistol, a couple of seasons ago. Um, He'd come off a good 80 average with Port, um, having not played many games and had the promise of more games being played, um, but just obviously never received them. So... I think he's got a bit of potential there and if he's given that midfield time, um, he's someone that if he lights up the JLT, I wouldn't be shocked if I saw him in a few teams, but at this po- moment, he's not in my considerations really at all. Um, so we'll jump to the ruck, which is the last thing that we need to touch on here. Um, I think it's it. Well, we should note that we're going to do obviously much more in-depth podcasts, but um, about specific positions um, and go position by position and price by price bracket, um, more in the JLT. Um, but now what we've got is we'll go with Ruck. And is there any other combo than Gorn and Nick Nat, Cheezo.
0: Oh, of course there's other options. Like if you're, you're looking at um, score potential, you've got Cruiser that had a breakout year and averaged 110, and everyone's locking in Gorn and Nick Nat. Nick Nat coming off an ACL missed the entire season. From all reports, he's ripping and raring to go. But who has turned up day one of a new season after missing a whole year and, you know, been scoring at hundred percent their maximum potential. You know what I mean? Like there is going to be some transition between the new Nick Nat getting used to his body and trusting it in a real match scenario as opposed to a training scenario running in circles against you're someone like Max Gorn in the early rounds, you know? So there's definitely other options out there. I think we can immediately rule out a few of them. The The first one that's really teasing, teasing us, is Brody Grundy because without Mason Cox in the team, he's a fantastic scorer. With Mason Cox in the team, he's not a fantastic scorer. There's too much of a divide, and you can't pick him going into a season... After all reports that Mason, you know, Cox has just signed another three year deal with Collingwood and reportedly going to be sharing the ruckload with Brody Grundy. You can't confidently pick someone like him, for example. I think um, uh, towards the top of the tree, you got Patty Ryder and Steph Martin. They're two different kettle of fish again. Patrick Ryder come out and had a fantastic year. And as a, a DPP, he was uh, amazing. But I don't see one on one. If Gorn gets a. a a full run at it if he can outscore Patty Ryder. But the thing we see every year is that it's not the same two rucks, and everybody says it. It's never the same two rocks rucks, rucks um, from one year to another. It's just it never happens. Who we just again we've just got to try and pick. I think the reason that everyone's jumping on Nick now is because there's the perception that he's heavily heavily discounted, but he's only four hundred and sixty six k. Like that's not a super discounted amount. That's still priced at 85 points. So you've got to pick him thinking that he's going to be your, your, your top two. He's got to be a top three ruck by year's end, total points and average for you to pick him at the start of the year. You've got to have that confidence because he's not a stepping stone where he is. He's only got 15, 20 points Um uh, for his season average in my opinion with that little transition where he's going to be scoring a little bit lower because he's getting used to his body so um, I think the obvious choice for everyone is Max Gorn is going to um, we hope he's going to play a full year we hope he's going to get 22 games in and if he does we're going to see a 110 average That's it's just I think that's just going to happen but I don't have the same confidence that Nick Nat is going to be a lock-in for a top 2, top 3 and so I can absolutely see people going with a Patty Ryder or, or or Matty Cruiser if they back their gut to do that. Then you know I, I'm totally fine with that, JB.
2: Yeah, definitely. And those two players, I mean, Cruiser having one of his first uh, injury-free seasons. Well, let we can just hope that he can do that again. Um, and Paddy Ryder with that awkward buyer. I think that's um, a lot of people are seeing these these little little idiosyncrasies and seeing that Nat, Nick Nat having averaged a hundred in the past and being cheap. Um, is probably their go-to. And obviously, everyone loves and They will have fond memories of owning him at almost any point in their supercoach careers um, and him killing it. What about you, Pisto? Are you um, as confident in that Well, Probably one of the most popular duos that we'll see in the game this year.
1: I think I'm a bit more confident, but for a different reason than Cheezo. Everything you said is spot on. Um, you look at the Rucks, and it's disappointing to say the least. Uh, Cox is going to play and split the time with Grundy. I think the stats were he averaged... Grundy averaged, I think it was like 106 win without Cox and like 86 with Cox or something like that. So you can pretty much rule Grundy straight straight out and that, that's hard because you know, you'd know you expect him to be a top rock. You've got Cruiser who are really going to shell out 600k for a guy that pretty much has spent his entire career broken down. He plays one full year and didn't break down. I don't know if, you, if it, it's worthwhile taking that risk. And then you've got Paddy Ryder who I think would be the best option to be honest, but He's Got the early buy, and it's not a buy round, so you just get a zero, especially because there's not many um ruck forward um, DPPs available. There doesn't seem to be any good cheap bench cover that you'll know will play the round that Patty Ryder has a buy, so you're just copying a donut if you pick Ryder um at this point in time. And then I guess logically, the next highest average is Steph Martin, who I think think could be the next best pick. And then you're comparing Steph Martin to Nick Nat and you're like, well, how much different are they going to average? I'm not sure it's going to be too much different. And in that situation, you, you generally just go with the cheapest one and the one that's the most highly owned. Um, if most people in Supercoach are choosing Nick Nat, then it's more of a safe pick because if he goes down, everyone has to trade him Everyone's in the same boat. And if he doesn't, well, then you don't fall behind. And it's scary. I mean, it's very scary going with Nick Nat because chances are he's going to get a rest. They've got um, a fit Lysett and Vardy who can take a chop out on the ruck. So you could bench Nick Nat whenever you wanted. And if you do that, we've got this DPP or lack of DPP problem where you're just going to cop a donut. So you kind of want a ruckman that's going to play 22. Um, the person that probably stands out is Sam Jacobs because he barely misses a game. But I don't think he's going to be in the top you know, five rucks come at the end of the year. Um, so, yeah, you've got, you're have got you in the world of hurt pretty much at the moment and I'm not sure what the best strategy is and usually in that case, you just go with the cheapest option and you hope for the best.
2: Yeah, and there's no Jared Witts to bail us out this year. Um, I think a lot of people were hoping players like Sean Darcy were of that cheaper ilk, but they're also very expensive and around Nick Nat's price. So, yeah, I think we're all in a confusing state when it comes to choosing our Ruckman, but when in doubt go for the safest option. That seems to be the Gorn and Knick combination. And I assume both those players will be nearing at least fifty percent ownership come round one. So it will be very, very safe um to sort of select them and a little bit risky to go outside the lines, but that's where points are made up and that's how people find their way um into the top top thousand, top two thousand early days. Is if they take a risk and it pays off, so um, it's it's just very up in the air at the moment. And as you said, we're going to have to wait for the JLT for any sort of clarity on a, a third ruck option um, that isn't spending 140k on someone who might not even play in Tim English. So um, I think there are. It's good. I'm liking the challenges in this year's Super Coach because um, I think we've had a couple of years with the Essendon saga and the Gold Coast and the GWS coming in of easy selections, rookies galore. Last year, we had so many good mid-prices treat us. Um, And this year, it's looking like you're really going to have to nail your picks or you might be in a world of hurt early on. So I'm looking forward to the challenge, guys. Um, Cheeso, I just want to cut to you quickly. Um, Just touch very briefly on um, maybe your best rookie early selection um, per per position, barring Ruck, of course. Um, Just who you're really looking at locking into that side real early in regards to rookies.
0: Yeah, so the the first thing I'll say is that we always have forward and mid-rookies you know, across uh, across all the teams in the AFL because it's the easiest kind of spot to come into the AFL and play. You can just cruise from the bench to the half-forward, wait for the ball to come to you and rack up a few touches and, and, and get off. We look at guys like Andrew McGrath from last year and uh, uh, players in years previous, the best rookies that have come in uh, in their in their 18th year coming straight out of you know year 12 into the AFL environment about 70 is all we can really expect so we're looking kind of in that era um, of scoring wise so it's not uh, you know years past where uh, uh, we had like Dane Zorko that came in as a mature age and went like 105 or something ridiculous so we as you say we are going to have to be shrewd with who we're picking there are some obvious ones i i think Liam Ryan um, picked up by West Coast i think he walks straight into their forward line because one thing they do lack with the likes of Darling and JJ Kane is they don't have a genuine pressure forward and Liam Ryan is just his highlight reel really is is insane and he is so good that he just walks up ahead of Willy Rioli he he he's going to keep 40 goals this year in the afl for sure, I think. Um, I'm really, really confident that he's going to come out. Um, I had penciled in in Harry Rigg. Um, and we have him in our, our draft squads um, You know, every year. We we hear that he's cutting up the sand and he's going to get a game. He puts up ridiculous numbers. With a broken ankle, you've got to, um, at least to this point, write him off. We don't know what time he's going to be back, when he's going to get back in. Um, so I'll start in defence. Defence is the hardest point, I think, at this stage because... There's no real genuine options that we can say are going to play round one, so we've got to look to a look at the likes of Nick Coffield that have has come in through the draft this year with St Kilda. I think he uh, he could quite genuinely play um, towards a, a half-back kind of wing kind of role. Um, so he he's elevated at 171k. I think that. Um, he will play some game time in in 2018. I'm not sure whether he's going to be round one, but I'm definitely going to be looking at him. With Doherty going down at Carlton, they've obviously um, used the, the preseason draft to pick up Cam O'Shea. He's going to be one to look at because he um, spent uh, a couple years on Port Adelaide, had a couple years out, cut up the VFL, won the BNF, and has now been picked up for and rewarded for those efforts. So, if I am looking at it in that aspect, he's going to be able to fill a role for Carton immediately. They don't have to worry about an 18, skinny 18-year-old 18 coming in. They've got a mature body, mature age that knows the AFL system. They've got someone that can come in and play a role for him. He's only 166K. He's something that I'll be looking at. Um, you've got the likes of Connor Balladin. He's a he's a, a defence for a defence forward for uh, Brisbane coming through the draft. One of their academy prospects, 198 centimeters. He's a, a big body. He's pretty much a direct replacement uh, for Josh Shackey. So he is most likely going to see some time in 2018. May not be a round one again. We can't tell in in uh, mid December. But he's another one that I think he's got the body type that could just come straight in if they needed him. Um, if we're looking into the midfield, we'll talk about Tim Kelly. Now, Tim Kelly's 118K, going to Geelong, picked up at pick 24. West Coast would be absolutely killing themselves if they, they didn't pick him up. He was absolutely amazing in the waffle last year. He's another uh, Sam Menegola. So just replace the name Sam Menegola 2.0 is coming into Geelong. That's what we're dealing with here. Before um, Menegola injured himself a couple of years ago, we all had him in our starting squads, mature Asia racks up the ball, kicks the ball, uh, kicks lots of goals. Um, if we're, uh, We've we talked about it a few years. Uh, we've got a like-for-like. A like. So what type of player each, um, each player plays like um, through champion data. And Tim Kelly, if you look at the way he plays the game, where he gets his touches, how he attacks the ball, breaks from stoppages and kicking goals... He actually plays very, very similar to Dusty Martin. So if you can get a, a Dusty Martin for 118K, um, <laughs> even if he's averaging, you know, uh, we talk about that 70 mark that I mentioned, Tim Kelly could easily easily go 80, 85. And so that, that's an absolutely fantastic number. Um, one that I'm interested in in the ruck line is Tim English. Because he's got that DPP, you don't necessarily need him to play. But at 135K he played last year, even with some concussion, you know, an extra preseason putting on some weight, I think he may get some more games for the Doggies. Um, and the last one on the forward line, I think Jack Higgins, you know, he's a, an absolute professional. His, uh, I'll just read out his, his, his supercoach numbers um, during his junior years. Um, picked 17 last year. In 2016, he averaged 140, 45 point, uh, supercoach points in the TAC Cup. 2017, he averaged 141 points in TAC Cup. And in the under-18 championships last year averaged 151 super Coach points and ranked number one, as you can imagine, across the competition. He is ridiculously hardworking, and he's a precious small forward, like midfield, 178 centimeters. He is going to walk into that side round one, into a premiership team. He's going to put um, Townsend, Castagna, these kind of guys, on notice because... He, if they're not careful, he will walk straight in and he's going to very easily make us some money at only 130 K JB. And I think, um, I could, you know, me with the draft and how close they'll watch it. I could talk forever on it, but they're, they're just some of the names that I'll be looking at, um, at the moment that, uh, I really think are pushing for round one.
2: Yeah. It's good to know we've got a lot of promising, um, prospects, uh, as the years years gone, there's been very, very scarce options and we've had to go with the likes of Pickett. Um, so yeah, it's good to know that there are already names popping up and catching your keen eye. Um, and that'll pretty much wrap us up, as long as Pistol doesn't have any last moments of uh, little gems of advice here.
1: <laughs> oh, I think um, my Collingwood bias is, is saying, you forgot Sam Murray, but besides that, Chizo's um, no, <laughs> got Cheezo's got the, the drafts uh, covered and I can't wait to listen to his podcast where he'll just be sitting down in front of the microphone talking to himself <laughs> for about an hour and a half and then he's like, what do you think pistol at the end? And I'll be like, yeah, I think you covered every single thing. Um, so I'm looking forward to that podcast, which will definitely be coming at some stage.
2: Excellent. And it's been great to do this podcast with you guys. Um, I think this is, we can call this a very, very, very brief touching on our first thoughts on Supercoach, Cause there is a lot to discuss that we haven't even gone near yet. Um, so more podcasts will be coming out as per usual in the preseason um, as Pistol just touched on, Chizo's going to do a solo podcast um, <laughs> on the draft and he's going to kill it as always.
0: That, that, that's just because you two don't want to sit here for three hours while I talk to you guys.
2: No, we'll be sitting there. We'll be there. You just won't. You you won't cut to us at all.
0: No, well, that's exactly. Right. I'll just I'll just go from you know pick one to pick seventy six or uh, seventy eight. Just go through all of them. Um, I'll, I'll do the rookie draft as well for you, JB. How about that?
2: I'll pretty much be like, well, welcome everyone. Jeezo, how how is your day? And then an hour and a half later, we'll be like, all right, good podcast, guys. Oh,
0: well, while I remember it, we should actually uh, congratulate Pistol for coming fourth in uh, Dream Team. Did he come fourth?
1: Oh. Why didn't you say anything, Pistol? Oh, it's a bit embarrassing, really. Um, it's a super coach podcast. Let's uh <laughs> Well, I should don't want to focus on that, I didn't end up doing very well. I was focusing on the dream team. I thought I had a chance. I'd just like to focus on the fact that you were like, what, second
0: coming into the second or third last round and then just panicked.
1: Um, yes, I cost myself <laughs> winning. Um, trying to be too clever with captain choices. If I Stuck with Tom Mitchell the whole time, um, I probably, well, I definitely uh, would have taken it out. So, a bit disappointing that I tried to be too clever for my own good, but mm. lessons learned. Can you and, taste that salt? Um, uh, <laughs> next, next season, Super Coach. We'll see how we go. <laughs> no, great job.
2: Excellent. Um, thank you for, for joining us, guys, and we'll talk soon for sure.